Welcome to Cancer Out Loud, the cancer care podcast, a show featuring conversations with people living with cancer, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, and the bereaved. Hosted by oncology social workers, Cancer Out Loud takes a closer look at the cancer experience using the power of storytelling. This season, we're talking about the importance of cancer screening, fostering resiliency, finding hope, building your support system, and much more. This podcast is produced by Cancer Care, the leading national organization providing free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Hi, welcome back to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care podcast. My name is Charlotte. I'm an oncology social worker at Cancer Care, and we're joined here today by Shannon. Shannon, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Shannon. I'm, uh, I currently live in Kansas and I was diagnosed with a oligo in August of 2003. Um, so I've been dealing with a, a, a glioma for about the past 18 years. I had my first surgery in 2003 to remove as much of my tumor as possible. And then in short order, I, I, uh, in 2007, I began uh, treatment. And in 2013, had another surgery as the tumor had grown back almost uh, 90%. Um, 2014 was external beam radiation, followed by uh, 2015, I I began um, another type of uh, oral chemo. And then in 2019, I had a third brain surgery in December. And at that time, I received um, gamma tile therapy for about six weeks, and that is supposed to kill the cancer cells that needed to be killed and leave normal brain tissue alone, which is unlike external beam radiation. It's such a story of the diagnosis and the medical part of it. Fill us in a little bit on on who you are throughout that 18-year process. Like, where are you in all of that? How old were you? in the first diagnosis and through all of these treatments, where were you at in all of that? So whenever whenever I was first diagnosed in July, 2003, I'm um, a correction to what I said earlier, mm-hmm. um, I was 31 and I had a two-year-old daughter, um, I'm, mar- I'm married. So, you know, that was a, it was, it was hard at first. I didn't know what, what to expect and my fear at the time was just, you know, am I going to be able to see my daughter grow up or is this uh, maybe not as bad as I, you know, thought it was at first. So throughout the whole time, I've just tried to remain a strong person and just try not to think too much about it or put too much uh, weight on it because I know that that can definitely uh, weigh you down as far as recovery time and just, you know, the weight of our thoughts sometimes makes things worse than what they they really are if we just have a positive outlook on things. So I, I've learned the hard way not to do too much research for yourself. I got in trouble at one point from my neurosurgeon because I was going through all of my MRI reports and like looking up every single word that they said and was convinced that I was probably going to die like the next day. So he, he basically told me, you know, listen to me and I will let you know if something is 
you know, really wrong. And in the meantime, stop looking up things on the internet. There's nothing wrong with doing research, but not to the point where you're, you're obsessing over what you're, you're reading. And I am by no means have a medical background. So even though I was looking things up, uh, it's not like I really understood what I was reading. And how did you find that relationship with your medical team? How did you build that team of people who could really guide you and support you? It sounds like you've had such trust in them. Well, I kind of came upon my neurosurgeon by chance, which I couldn't be happier with that decision. Um, He is definitely a very down-to-earth man. Um, He's always told me the truth about everything and uh, given me different options on what we could look into. And the guy is as busy as I'll get out, but I've never gotten the impression that he wants to just shoo me out of his office whenever I have to go in for an appointment. He comes in and goes over my MRI report with me and takes as long as I need. So I'm very happy with my medical team. Uh, they, uh, they're all awesome people and just really value their guidance through all the, these years. You mentioned you had a, a young daughter when you were diagnosed. It's been some time since then. What are some of those conversations you've had in the years since first being diagnosed and through those treatments with with other people in your life about your diagnosis, the side effects? Well, I mean, I just, I knew I had to explain something to my coworkers just to kind of prepare them for what I was was going through. And as far as like, you know, really good friends and family. Um, Family's obviously been there since the very beginning. So they've known my diagnosis, although I will say that probably uh, they were a little bit shocked, just like I was, as far as like whenever the, the hair started coming out. My mom is just like a super caring person. And so she made it a point to like come over to my house like once a week and help help clean it. Um, you know, make dinner. Coworkers have chipped in to buy groceries or whatever for me, like for a few weeks. And people have brought over meals, you know, during the, those times. So people have just really taken taken it to heart, I guess. And people, you know, always ask how I was feeling, which you know, I will say that that's probably super important to a person going through anything like that. They need to know that people still care about them the same way. So don't be afraid to ask someone how they're feeling. We're very involved in our church. And so they're an extended family as far as I'm concerned. And so those people were very involved as well. They, they did a sign-up sheet to, to bring a meal over to our house for probably a good two months. So just do what you can to help other people if, uh, if you know somebody in that situation. What would you say some of the, the things that stood out for you, maybe for people who weren't in a position to like bring a meal or like show up for a long distance or for people who lived further away? Are there things that you noticed, ways that, that folks checked in that really resonated with you? One of the things that meant the most to me was a coworker um, who sent her, who laid a card on my desk as I was getting ready to go into surgery for the second time. And, you know, just 
kind of pumping me up, like you got this and you're a strong person. So I know that you're going to get through this just fine. So just, just things like that really, really helped me knowing that people cared. That gave me more reason to just push through it and not feel sorry for myself. It sounds like you've had such an incredible group of community of other people who have been able to to lend you that positivity and support. What have you done with those worries or those fears? Have there been a community of other patients or of other people diagnosed with similar cancers that you've been able to say, like, here is where I'm going to put some of my anxieties or stress today? What have you done with some of that worry to kind of release it from you so you don't hang on to it? I've tried to join up with different groups online. Like there's a group online called Inspire and it's for brain tumors, but people can get on there. It's like a blog and they can say, hey, I was just diagnosed with a GBM or my my husband just found out that he had this diagnosis and what should I expect or what have, what have been your, you know, things that happened to you. So things like that have really helped me to kind of be able to express what I, what I had and what I went through in hopes that maybe somebody can read it and say, oh yeah, that's kind of what, what I'm going through as well. And then if they want to reach out to me, then they can. I've done that a few times with some people who have been diagnosed with tumors or their, their spouses have. And so that's been very helpful for me to be able to talk about my situation and steps that I took to kind of get through everything. So I, I highly recommend that as well. Just there, there are definitely websites out there and chat boards and everything like that that are related to brain tumors and uh, with a lot of people on them that will, that will ask questions and also give advice. I'm so glad you had that support. You know, one of the one of the things that the cancer care online groups really try to do is to give people that space to say, you know, here is a group where you can connect with other people and they might have the same diagnosis or not, but at least you're dealing with the same set of concerns and here's how people have dealt with them. I'm curious when you were listing out some of those things, like what it's felt like for you to give back to that community that you've built, saying that you were the first person to, in your state to have this treatment, now to be connecting to, with other people who are considering it. What has that shift felt like only in the past two years? Well, it's, it's been very therapeutic. So, because one of the things I always wanted to do was make sure that people were aware, and I hope that some people that I have talked to have been able to take my story and my situation and talk to their doctors to see if that's a, an option for them, as well as all of the, the clinical trials that are out there right now. So there, there are so many and they're looking for people to, you know, to, to do the trials. Hopefully we can get rid of this nasty thing that we call brain cancer. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if you're comfortable sharing a little bit about what those conversations feel like for you, because you've had a, a variety of treatments over the years. What is it like each time that you'd gone in when they said, like, here's the next thing, here's the next thing that we're doing? What was that conversation like 
with that surgeon who you trusted or was it someone else kind of relaying the news? How do those conversations play out for you? The first conversation whenever I first got my diagnosis was obviously caught me off way off guard. I wasn't expecting it at all because like I said, I was young. I was 31. So you don't expect for anything bad to happen to you at that point. So and I, I, what kind of led up to me even finding out about it was just going through, for example, my house and suddenly not remembering which direction to turn to go to my bedroom. I would turn to my left, for example, and oh, you know, that that was that's not my bedroom. That's actually the kitchen right there. So kind of, I guess it's just kind of like displacement. And then going to the grocery store that I'd gone to for years and years and coming home, not being able really to figure out what street I needed to be on to get to my house. And it was just kind of like a feeling that kind of like came over me all at once and then it would go away. So I guess now that I know more, that was probably like an aura that I experienced mm-hmm. uh, right before uh, some sort of a seizure. When I went into the to the doctor, finally, I, I was like, I need to probably go to the ER or something to see what's going on. So whenever they first told me about the the tumor, I was by myself. I did just was not expecting something like that. And I can remember the, you know, the neurologist who told me the news was like, are you, are you here by yourself? And I was like, well, yeah. And he, he's like, uh, well, you know, you've either had, you, you've either had a stroke or you have a tumor of some sort. And at that time there was only, I mean, MRIs were still kind of re- relatively new. I mean, not super new, but they had a specific one at a hospital across town. And they were the only one that had this particular type of MRI machine that could basically look at the metabolism of the, the tumor and determine whether or not it was a stroke or a tumor. So that was a that was kind of heavy news to have to tell my family and not really knowing how aggressive or anything that it was. So I would say that was probably the hardest conversation that I had. And then each time going back, you know, because I have my I have MRIs pretty often, like every three or four months. And you go along, you know, after surgery and you're like, okay, that MRI came back good. You know, my scans haven't changed that much. And then you, all of a sudden you get an MRI and you go into the doctor and he's like, well, we're seeing some changes, but we're going to watch it for a couple more months. And then the next time you have one, it's like, well, it's changed quite a bit. I think we're going to have to go in there and see what's going on. So kind of like strikes fear in your heart, to be honest. And especially after the first one, you're hoping that everything is just going to be fine. So then the last one kind of took me off guard a little bit because not only was there a tumor, there was also a cyst growing out of the tumor. And But I had noticed like definitely some motor skill changes. I would be at work. I, wor- I work on a computer. I'm an accountant. So mm-hmm. I work on the computer a lot. And So I would try to look at my screen and I would kind of get like a little spinny circle in the corner of my left eye. And then pretty soon it would turn into like a jagged line uh, that would kind of like shake. And then the next thing after that, it would be like a black spot that would cover my screen. And so I couldn't see it, uh, you know, when when I moved my eyes around. That was the cyst causing pressure on some of those, uh, you know, motor skills, you know, vision. 
And then the left, the left leg started to drag a little bit and my left arm would go numb and hand and it would be like if I touched my leg, somebody else was actually touching my leg It because I couldn't feel my fingers touching my leg. Just a very bizarre experience. I wasn't too surprised and he said that there is definitely something going on and so we need to go in there for another surgery. None of the, none of the times have been exactly pleasant to, to hear. As a matter of fact, I actually had an MRI two weeks ago, and there's again some enhancement growing. So we're we're kind of like in the middle of deciding what we we should do right now. So probably have another MRI to really determine whether or not uh, things are growing back again. That's a lot of waiting in between all of those MRIs, in addition Definitely. to everything else. It is, it is, but I've, I've tried to stay very positive and, mm-hmm. and realize that this is the hand that I was dealt. And so there's not a whole, it, a lot of things are out of my control. All I can do is try and take care of myself the best that I can, whether that be exercising, you know, staying away from sugar as much as possible, just trying to keep a healthy lifestyle. And that's helped helped a bit. I'm wondering if you wanted to share that here about how humor had had helped cope with some of the the stressors and how that had maybe helped kind of navigate this a little bit. Right. I know this is, is out of my control and it's all in God's control. I'm a firm believer in that. I've always tried to have a sense of humor about this because I can't do anything about, you know, my situation except for the doctors, etc. So I mentioned my neurosurgeon for the past 18 years. Um, I've got a good relationship with him. Good guy, and he's just very down to earth. So I gave him grief the very first time I had surgery because I didn't have super long hair then, but I had enough to where it was noticeable when he had to shave the back of my hair to get to the tumor. And anyway, I thought that I would just do him the favor the third time around. And so I went to a barber the week of surgery and I had the words cut here with an arrow pointing up to my incision scar so that he would know exactly where to go the next time. And that was my little ha-ha on him, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, so that was my that was my humorous uh, bit for him. And uh, he, he lifted up my hair and saw that and thought that was pretty funny. And uh, he said that it definitely helped him know where, to, know where to cut whenever he went in to make the incision. So I'm glad that I could help him out in that way. <laughs> I think it's such an important part of this is that you are dealing with this anxiety around scans and the waiting and the stress around side effects and all of these like moving pieces that are really hard to hold at the same time that you are aiming for positivity and aiming for humor and building the rest of your life. You are working, you are not a young adult anymore in the same way as when you were first diagnosed. It's been many years that you have been dealing with this, which comes with it, practice at Mm -hmm. using your coping skills. You're not quite figuring out which ones work, rather figuring out which ones work for right now. Are there ones that you know are like tried and true, this is going to get you through the next MRI, or is it still 
kind of day by day sometimes in between those scans? Most of the time it is just focusing on being a good mom, being a good wife, and I try not to uh, dwell too much on my situation. I don't think that really helps anything. So just taking care of myself physically and everything else. I love to read. I love to go on long walks and just kind of being a, a patient navigator has helped because I can actually talk to other people who are scared and wondering what's next and the, the cancer board and everything else that um, I mentioned earlier as well. So just I'm just trying to be a positive person altogether. It's not easy sometimes because when you've gone through things like surgery and radiation multiple times, it does start to wear on your body a little bit. Somebody had asked me the other day, do you feel like you're as sharp as you used to be? And my answer to that was, no, I don't. I do think that it kind of takes a little bit out of your thinking skills, I guess, to just kind of undergo some of that stuff. Not that I was a brainiac in the first place, but it does take a toll on you. But I just try not to to dwell too much on that and to go through life and rely on my faith and you know, probably the best thing to do is, for me, is uh, go to church and read my Bible, and that's how I that's how I cope. What is one thing that you're going to take away from this past year? Probably just appreciate appreciate your life, appreciate the people around you, and don't ever take anything for granted the thing that I would say the most about that because you just you never know when things are going to change or whenever your normal uh, is going to change so definitely be appreciative of your family and your friends and if you work be appreciative of your job uh, and just be appreciative of your health if you if you have good health or even if you don't have good health just be appreciative I think that's such a hard thing sometimes to remember that appreciation for what is when there's such a focus in the treatment plan of what's coming in the next three months, what's coming in the next six months, let's schedule that next out appointment and that future focus along with, you know, what did the last scan say, what did the one before that and that comparison in the past versus holding on to the present, what is right now? And can we hold that appreciation for the present and the current? It's such an important part of things that sometimes gets missed when the medical medical side kind of takes over. Mm-hmm. I agree totally. Hmm. We still have some time. I am curious about the parenting aspect through all of this. And I think a lot of our our clients here and a lot of listeners are hearing these podcasts and are coming to cancer care as young adults and as parents and single parents or in committed relationships and however they, they come to us kind of worrying about how to talk to kids about cancer, or how their treatment might affect kids in school. And they, ha- they have a lot of these worries and, and you've, it sounds like you've done a really good job of, of being present with your family and also taking care of yourself. And that's a that's a hard line sometimes. 
Right. Yeah. As far as far as my daughter is concerned, I think that the hardest thing I think at the initially was the fact that she was two. Whenever I found out about everything, so of course she doesn't have uh, an adult mind at that point, or even a young child's mind to even grasp what was even going on with me. I think the the hardest thing for me at first was. After your surgery, you're not supposed to lift anything over 10 pounds for a couple of weeks. She's always been a very lovey child, except when she became a teenager. (laughs) And so she, you know, she, she didn't understand why I couldn't pick her up and carry her around and everything. It was always, I had to go sit on the couch and then, then she would come over. And I've always really tried to not show the strain maybe that I was under. As far as a, like, especially if I have like an upcoming surgery or something like that coming up or an MRI report that was not as good as I would like it to be. I've tried to kind of keep that away from her uh, when she was younger, just because I didn't want her to be concerned. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. As, as she got older and kind of understood more, you know, she was, she was older whenever I had my surgery in 2013. But even then, I don't think she truly understood exactly how I was feeling. Like I was scared and and everything else. I can remember telling my husband the night before my surgery, I was like, I don't think I can go through with this. It just totally, I guess, freaked me out to think about going underneath the knife again. Because my fear at that time was just like, what if I don't wake up? And what's going to happen to my daughter? Is she going to be able to grow up up without a mom, kind of giving her some guidance about the girl stuff. It was it was just fear on my on my part, but I tried really hard to keep that uh, fear away from excuse me away from her. But I also wanted to be truthful with with her at the same time. Like I didn't want to totally hide the fact that there was something going on. I didn't want to be the parent that said, "Oh yeah, everything's fine," and then. Suddenly I'm like in the hospital and and then coming home with this great big gash and stitches in my head and have her wonder what was going on. I told her enough to where she knew what was going on, but wouldn't be concerned because I was concerned. And then of course this last one, she's much older. I mean, she was 18 at that time she understood what was going on and she was, she was probably more interested in it from just like a medical standpoint than anything. And because of the fact that I have never really showed a lot of concern or done, done the whole, whole why, why me situation, except for maybe to myself by myself, I don't think she was scared because she didn't see me acting scared. Mm. And, and she actually, for a little while, thought about going into like oncology or something like that because she saw how much I revered my oncologist and my neurosurgeon. She still wants to go into the medical field, but just not as a doctor. So okay. it sounds like you guys have really come so far and really built up such a good foundation as a family unit. And that's really hard to do in the midst of really quite a lot of pressure from the medical sphere and from a lot of other 
stressors going on. It sounds like you've done an incredible job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It really does. It sounds like you've, you've figured that out. Was that in partnership with your husband? Was that like in communication? What, what did those conversations look like about parenting and diagnostic, you know, procedures? Like how did that, how did those conversations go with him? I've always tried to be very inclusive to him because I mean, I know he has to live with me as well. And it's not fair to a partner to try to hide the diagnosis or anything like that with them because they, they need to know what's going on as well. So they know how to help you and they can process it themselves. He's He's always been there for me from the very beginning. And he's, I mean, he's he's been the person that I Obviously, I've cried on his shoulder and told him you know, my my fears and everything else. And he has he's the more sensible person in our relationship. I'm the one who just gets all emotional and stuff like that. And he's just like, calm down. Let's think about this. So when I told him the second surgery, I'm not going to go through with this. He's like, yes, you are. You're going to be fine. You're going to wake up. Don't worry. So um, I've just always he's been my springboard, and it's a it's a good thing. We have a we have a good relationship, been married for 25 years and or this past August. So I guess we, we like something about each other. <laughs> Congratulations. That's Thank quite you. a testament to the two of you. Thanks. Hard work, but you know, it's worth it. It sounds like it. Well, I really appreciate you sharing all of these things. I know that you'd mentioned a few organizations and places that you would really found supportive. I want to make sure that we mention them here, but is there anything else that you want to share with folks who might be like newly diagnosed or considering uh, different tests or different treatment plans? Are there any like last words that you've got for folks that, you know, might be having questions about what to do next. Yeah. So I would say that if you if you are newly diagnosed or you have just questions in general, there are a couple of uh, great sites out there. One of them is called Inspire and it's basically a blog and a lot of people go out there and they will talk about, you know, they're newly diagnosed and they have questions about like, I've seen a lot of questions about like external beam radiation, for example. What what was your experience with, with this? And did you have hair loss and fatigue, et cetera, et cetera. And so people who have experienced that can answer back and say, yeah, this is what, this is what happened to me. Or, you know, there's different types of tumors. A lot of people go out there to talk about their tumors and just their medical plan and everything else and people can chime in if they want to or if you just want to be an observer and read that's also great as well. I've learned a lot of quite a few things on there. There are other groups like there's a brain cancer initiative group that have a lot of webinars so Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to go out there and see when their their webinars are supposed to be. They have patients like me on there sometimes just talking about their their diagnosis and different treatment plans that they've gone through. There's also uh, Gamma Tile is a good one. They have a patient navigator uh, link. Like I so if anybody wants to get in touch with me, they can actually click on that link and it'll go to some videos of some patients who received Gamma Tile. 
as well as just some, uh, you know, just helpful information. And they will put you in contact with a with another patient navigator if you want to go that route and just ask somebody else questions about their their situation. So those are my places that I go to to look for answers. I think one thing that really stands out, I know you had mentioned this initially, was just like the power of hope and how much that really shines through from the point of your diagnosis and all of the treatments that you've been through, that there is still this connecting thread of of what that has meant to you. And I'm wondering if there's any like final thoughts that you have about any any ways that you stay hopeful or that you stay positive. So there's several different ways. I grew up with a mom who is the definition of caring and concern and everything else to people. She will, you know, give you the shirt off of her back if she needs to. So she basically taught me to be like empathetic, sympathetic to other people. So that that's the way that I kind of give and get hope. I'm very involved in my church family. And one thing that kind of really gave me hope recently was I went to Austin had something called the, the Congress of Neurosurgeons uh, meeting there. And so I was able to go there and just see all of the different technology, medical devices, et cetera, there. And I was just blown away with some of the stuff that I saw. And that just gave me further hope that, you know, there's always someone, doctors, scientists, et cetera, that are looking for new ways to try and help people with brain cancer, spinal injuries, et cetera. And just some of the technology out there is just fascinating. I was just blown away. And my daughter was able to go with me. And she got to play around with some of the stuff that they had. So it it was really neat. But I was able to see neurosurgeons in action at that conference. And just gives you so much hope to know that there's always something being developed, some new trial out there that they're trying to bring to fruition. There's stuff out there that people need to be aware of. And you just have to, to look for it. Or I'm always very willing to talk to anybody who wants to to gain further insight into my situation. I'm absolutely sure that folks will listen to your story, Shannon, and that this is going to be such an avenue for for folks to really hear an example of hope, those fears and worries that you had when you were first diagnosed, if you had, you know, been able to listen to someone on the other end say, yeah, I'm here and it it's been okay. Here's the treatments that I've had and they were scary, but We've had, you know, really lovely moments and there have been joy and laughter in the, you know, years since. That's exactly what I would say. Yeah, my deep theme is just find humor, have hope, things will be okay. I think that is a lovely summary and such a hopeful place for people to land. You know, a difficult place sometimes for people to start. But what an incredible goal, and I'm really glad that that's where you end up sometimes. I really appreciate you sharing all of this with us, Shannon. I hope that listeners are really able to take in this story and and really get the most possible. It's an incredible one, and we're really lucky to have heard it here. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoy talking with you and and hope that uh, people can listen to this and 
you know, uh, get some hope and get maybe get some ideas of where to go look for answers. Thanks for listening to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care podcast. Cancer Care is the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services, including case management, counseling, support groups, educational resources, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. You can visit us online at cancercare.org or call our toll-free Hope line at 800-813-HOPE. That's 800-813-4673 to speak with a master's prepared oncology social worker.